Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 170 with my guest, Christine. <laughs> Demon, I can't say her name right. With my guest, Christina Pizitsky. Every time I go to say her name, I fuck it up, including the interview itself. Um, this episode is sponsored by PillPack. They're an awesome sponsor, and uh, they're the pharmacy that delivers convenient pre-sorted meds right to your door. If you have ever been frustrated trying to get a refill at your local pharmacy, you need to check this out. It takes all of the stress out of refilling your meds. And uh, you can support our show by just checking out their website pillpack.com slash happy hour and it who knows might be the first pharmacy that you actually enjoy using and the first month is free so how can you beat that visit pillpack.com slash happy hour i'm paul gilmartin this is the mental illness happy hour two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking the show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a doctor. It's not a doctor's office, although I am a hypochondriac. Uh, this is more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And um, what I want to say, oh, just wanted to share this with you guys. Um, I had such a great day today. Actually, yesterday was pretty good, too. Um, I told you I've been doing neurofeedback and we were just about to give up on it. And um, they said, let me try one more thing on you. And after my last visit, I was singing in the car on the way home. I got home. I was like, I think I'm going to go for a run. And uh, 
And today I got the opportunity to go speak at a Pierce College here in Los Angeles. To um, They showed a screening of uh, the PBS, PBS documentary that uh, I was included in called a, a New State of Mind. And they asked me to speak after the screening uh, for a bunch of students. And uh, I was a little bit nervous because I didn't know, uh, you know, do I tell them my story? So I decided, uh, you know, I'll tell like 10 minutes of my story and then I'll open it up to questions. And uh, it went so well. They were, the students were so engaged. They asked such good questions. And it, it was like whatever it was that was in my soul that wanted to come out, just it just flowed out. It was almost like I was standing watching myself and going, yeah, that was a great answer. It was just, and afterwards, um, I was talking to some of the students one-on-one, and I could see that they had been really touched by me sharing the pain and the confusion and struggle and stuff that I'd been through. And I just felt at such peace with uh, with the universe. And then the the um, one of the women who organized it came up to me and she said, we would like to have you give our commencement speech on June 10th. And I was like, fuck you, bitch. I ain't your monkey. And I threw the mic down and I started breakdancing. And as I was doing the caterpillar, I thought, maybe I overreacted. And... Uh, I took off my beret and uh, I apologized to her and I said, um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> In all seriousness, she did ask me that and I was I, I was just like I would love to. And so I'm I'm looking forward to uh a couple hundred students uh checking their watches on June tenth and going, Is this fucking old guy gonna wrap it up so I can go party? But just I, I thought I'd share that with you guys because um, it meant a lot to me and I like to uh, talk about myself. Let's get to some surveys, huh? How about that? Yakety yak. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Wish It Were Simple about his anxiety. Horrified to take any of my Xanax because I know Xanax, Xanax, because I can't imagine what I'd go through if it didn't work. Um, snapshot from his life. I spent 12 hours yesterday with a woman I'm currently love addicted to. I awoke this morning to terrible loneliness, anxiety, and depression, missing her and obsessing about her. She has no clue I'm like this, and we've dated for four months. I'm thinking the only way I can get through the day is to contact a prostitute to see tonight to force my brain to think of another woman. Why does life have to be this way for anyone? I've been to treatments and therapists. It's just a terrible addiction to manage. When I try to stop my addiction and be a good husband, I'm so bored with life that I become depressed and then turn once again to my love addiction ways. I'm confused. I think it sounds like he's married and he's having an affair with this woman. And then he's seeing prostitutes on the side. Um, that's pretty serious, man. I would, I would, um, I would definitely uh, look into a support group for um, love or sex addiction or both. Or maybe consider going to, uh, I hear that there is a really great treatment facility called, um, uh, the name is, it's in it's in uh, Arizona, The Meadows, which is supposed to be a really, really great place uh, for sex and or love addiction. All right. 
This is uh, from the Body Shame Survey filled up by a woman who calls herself Laz89. Uh, what do you like or dislike about your body? I hate everything about my body. I am fat and feel isolated because I feel like I can't trust my body. It does amazing things for me every day, but I keep punishing it with food and lack of activity. Food runs my life, and I binge and purge to get rid of stress and feel in control. I was in the ER this past weekend because of a panic attack, and the next night I binged and purged. I'm afraid I've damaged my body because of my eating disorder and that I won't be able to fully recover. And then uh, any comments to make uh, the podcast better? I'd love to hear an interview with a couple who are both struggling with mental illness. Um, I think that's a great idea. So if there's a couple... um, that either one or both are struggling with it, um, contact me if you're in the L.A. area. And uh, some other topics that I feel like we could cover more of on the uh, podcast if you're in the L.A. area um, and any of these apply to you, uh, shoot me an email. Um, Binge eating I'd like to cover more of. Um, PTSD, especially people uh, returning from service. Uh, I'd like to interview some more college-age people, um, people uh, with schizophrenia, uh, any struggle related uh, to racial issues, uh, people living with chronic illness or chronic pain, uh, people who've been through um, workplace bullying or harassment, and guys over 40 named Phil. Email me at mentalpod.com. No, mentalpod at gmail.com. I was so lost in whether or not that last joke went over. Forgot my email address. This is Struggle in a Sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Latin Phrase. I hope he's in L.A. because I would like to uh, think he'd be a good a good guest. About his anxiety. It's like drowning without the comfort of death. Uh, about dealing with racial, racial or cultural bias. Constantly feeling less than. Like this dark skin is just a chip that I will never get off of my shoulder. Snapshot from his life. I think the discrimination I've faced throughout my life has really just added another aspect to my struggles. My anxiety has me constantly questioning whether or not what someone said to me was because of my race. My anger has me ready to snap on anyone who might belittle or condescend to me. My mind is continuously racing, thinking of scenarios to dismantle the next person who decides to question my intelligence or use me as the butt of a joke. I'm just always angry and on the edge. Well... We're sending you a big hug. Um, Same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself guest about her depression, chronic depression. Uh, I would be content to stay in bed all day as the world goes on without me. About her bulimia, my binge is my time to feel pleasure over the calories I am not supposed to consume, which then turns into an intense guilt, forcing myself to not eat for five days in punishment for my actions before it repeats. Snapshot from her life, I had a binge today. Every time I binge, I know I won't be eating for almost a week after. Before, I get so hungry that I binge again. The cycle repeats itself over and over. I can't tell if I love food or hate it. That is profound. And then these last three struggling sentences I wanted to group together because I think there's the issue of perfectionism and the paralysis of perfectionism at the heart of, of all of them. Uh, this is from a woman who calls herself Fruits about her anxiety. Any, any moment of peace makes me worry that there is something I'm not worrying about. About OCD, why is everyone trying to drive me crazy by not doing things the right way? About her codependency, being strong enough to not be addicted to anything, but not strong enough to control my husband's many addictions. 
about her anger issues. It starts in my stomach. My fingers go numb. It rises to my head, and all composure is lost. Uh, snapshot from her life. Eight years old. My mom was leaving my, quote, dad and had spent a few days with a new guy. She came home to pick me up. We didn't pack anything. No toys, no baby, baby memorabilia, none of my books, just a few clothes, and we were gone. I awoke that night to my mom screaming and this new guy beating her ass. I thought we would go back home, but it did not happen. Just more beatings for her. I became invisible. Uh, this next one is from a guy who calls himself a whisker. His depression, no desire, no strength, no joy, little willpower. His anxiety, the worry rock that keeps me down. A snapshot from your life. I'm turning my life around. After working full-time for six years in a career path I don't enjoy, I'm finally going back to university. But at the first instance of a challenge, be it an assignment or something social, it becomes instantly overwhelming. I get in the car and park somewhere quiet just to be alone and worry to myself. But this makes it so much harder as I should have used this time just to do the damn assignment. Instead of being, uh, instead of being proactive, I become counterproductive. If I didn't feel like a failure already, I might actually be able not to stress out at the smallest things. I guess it's awfulsome. I'm changing my life for the better, but I'm too scared to even try. Sending you a hug, man. Maybe that uh, thing that Guy Winch and I talked about, about uh, consciously going out and doing things imperfectly, making mistakes, just to, just to feel and be reminded that it's not going to kill you. And then this last one from Ginger uh, about her depression. Like my brain was steamrolled and every thought, conclusion, decision, and action was stretched out so thin and long that it takes me light years to find the end of it. And when I do, I've done it wrong, so I don't always try. And about her anxiety, I do so many things wrong that I'm not even sure if I'm right about what I'm doing wrong. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's, that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Chrissy. <laughs> Chrissy. Christina Pazitsky. Good. That was so good. I'm yeah. so proud of you. <laughs> she is uh, an actress, a stand-up mm. comedian, but more importantly, she's fucking crazy. Yes. And she's she's here, <laughs> and she had a crazy upbringing. And I didn't even know that you were uh, an actress or a stand-up comedian when you when somebody recommended you to to me they said yeah she grew up with a with a crazy mom you should yeah. get her on as a guest and so I just tweeted to you and then found out kind of about who you were and stuff like that afterwards um, so you just your only qualification for the show is like did you have a shitty childhood um 
or, or just have you been through something difficult? Oh, okay. Are you in something difficult? Okay. Um, that's, I, I that's you, okay. Yeah, no, it, 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 I get people who had pretty normal childhoods that huh. have nothing that they can pinpoint their depression or their emptiness or whatever really? to. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of listeners as, uh, as guests because there's the pool of stories you can draw from, from them, um, is, never never ending and they intimately know the show and the tone and i love so, it so yeah and it's it's not about comedy or show business or anything i mean comedy is certainly welcomed but yeah well i i you know initially when you reached out to me i was like absolutely because i i want people there should be a dialogue about mental illness and there isn't and and people are so ashamed of the stuff they go through Maybe because it's not a visible wound, like emotional problems, and, and they're kind of downplayed or discredited. Like, people and don't mista- believe you. mistaken for weakness or bad attitude. Correct. Yeah. You should w- be able to will yourself out of this thing. Um, Americans or or you're just an asshole. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel so much empathy for people that live with borderline personality disorder because the average person just thinks, oh, what a dick, what a cunt, and they don't realize that the emotions that this person is experiencing are nuclear to them yes and the problem uh yeah here's the thing okay so my mother has borderline personality disorder and i didn't know that until four years ago when i started psychotherapy i just thought that my childhood was like everybody else's and everybody's mom loves them hates them kicks them out pulls them back in um you know i just thought everybody spent their childhood hiding in their bedroom listening to the fox and the hound record over and over to (laughs) avoid their mom like i didn't uh and honestly part of me i'm 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 a little afraid to share because i there's shame and there's i feel guilty for hating my mom and how do i come on a fucking podcast and go hey i i don't really like my mom guess what i don't like her (laughs) fuck her i don't want to i don't want her in my life I, I cut my mom out of my life two years ago, you and it's did. been the greatest vacation I've ever had. It's not feeling the dread when I see her number. Come yes, up, yes. Not feeling drained. It's, yes, it's like a vampire-like thing, and it's exactly what you described. Bring you in with praise, and then stick the stick the knife in. Is, is your mom borderline as well? I, you know, she certainly has the traits uh, of yeah. it, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know, and ultimately. I think the label isn't as important yes. as our feelings uh, about, uh, about them, yes. but um, it's a great shorthand to, to have to be able to say, you know, my mom had borderline personality disorder, because then to the person, uh, yes, the other person you're sharing it with, they immediately go, oh, okay, I, I have an yeah. idea. Yeah, and even like, I, I, I was an only child up until my mother remarried to a sociopathic criminal when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they met uh, from a singles ad in a newspaper in 1991. Uh, he sent her a photograph of himself in an uh, Armani suit and a cell phone next to his Mercedes. And a oh. month later, they were married, and I had an instant oh. family. And, uh, and a Mercedes. And a Mercedes, which was really worth it when you think about it. I mean, yeah, yeah. he's a sociopath. Yes, our lawn was set on fire, but I got a lot of nice stuff yeah. out of it. And you got to see him use that gigantic <laughs> brick cell phone from 1991. Yes, that's exactly the picture. The pretty woman cell phone. <laughs> the box, the huge brick, yes. Yeah. Um, so I, that was I, neat. I believe you carried those around in a coffin. I think that was the carrying <laughs> case for it. 
<laughs> right. So I, I grew up with these three stepsisters later. And like, even now when I go, Hey, you know, my mom, like the reason she divided us and split us into good and evil and this and that is because she's crazy. And a lot of them don't validate my experience of it. Like they're still in the cycle of this is normal for everybody, right? Like everybody throws plates of food. Everybody experiences the awful shit we did like you got like that anyway so it's invalidating on a lot of levels i think so invalidating and and yeah. even if it's just the absence of them giving you the boilerplate stuff that you need as a kid Oof. that'll fuck you up but then on top Dude. of it the abuse and the gaslighting i think oh. that's the most difficult man let's talk about yeah the gaslighting it the crazy making part i mean i'm assuming everyone knows what that is in your audience like we don't have to yeah the references from a from a movie where um uh the the manipulative person would keep changing the level of the the gaslight right. the lamp and saying that they hadn't so the other person oh. began to think that they were crazy that they were imagining it right and that's that's the experience of growing up with a mother that is a borderline is that you don't know what the fuck like i don't know if i'm right if i'm wrong <laughs> i don't know if i'm loved if i'm not loved i don't know you just don't know anything and so you grow up with this weird lack of an inner core which i now i'm discovering who i am through the process of stand-up and aggressive psychotherapy in the last four years and if anyone you know you know what show i love watching is the sopranos mm-hmm. and I was like, why am I so drawn to this? Well, the mother. The, the mom. Yeah. yeah. And the darkness. And my parents came from Hungary. They escaped from communism in uh, 1969. They escaped on foot. They were 20 years old. And they escaped to Italy, where they lived in a camp for a year. You know, they grew up poor. They grew up in, you know, there's World War One. There's World War Two. The Russians come and destroy Hungary. Like, just this poverty and oppression. They moved to Canada. My mother doesn't want children. My father's desperate for a child. Against her will, she has me. I ruined her body because she wanted to be a Vegas showgirl. I have dashed her dreams of that, oh right? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, my parents both came from such trauma backgrounds, and I get that, and I get that intellectually. My dad's way more functional than my mother, thank God, so I had him as a beacon of what's not, like, what's normal. But my mom, dude... That probably saved you. I'm most definitely and some American girlfriends that my dad had like he dated this Albertson's checkout girl who's like the most normal American lady like just to have touchstones of the culture that I lived in because I felt like an alien I'm an alien from another country and I'm an alien because what's going on at home I know isn't right but I'm an only child at the time and I can't go to school and I, I knew I couldn't tell the teachers because I knew that if I did something bad would happen like I just knew Anyway, as we know, borderlines, they don't, the fear, the central fear is that I will be rejected, right? Which is why they, they're like porcupines. Like you want to put your arms around them and hug them, but ow, it hurts because they're deflecting you, whatever. My mother divorces my dad at age four, once we move here to the valley. And now my life gets fucked up. Like she threatens to keep me away from him. And then my life with her alone begins because she gets custody because it's 1980 and moms get custody of their children. And I've never really talked about the details of growing up with her because it's still I'm still not over. Like I cried this morning preparing. I, I had to go and write notes about wow. what what it happened because I blocked it out. And I was in the shower this morning like I never had a mother. <laughs> I, it's still I'm still I cry from time to time. Over not having... It hurts. Yeah. It fucking hurts. Yeah. You know, when the person who is 
supposed to be your protector is your abuser. It's it doesn't get deeper than that. And how is the world not terrifying when that's your template? It's like imagine people that don't, aren't supposed to like me. How are they going to treat me? Ooh, oh, it's and so hard to be vulnerable and intimate and trust them because you're like, what's their angle? How how are they going to stick the shiv in? Well, and then on top of that, to be a stand-up comedian. And to translate that into your gig where it's all about approval, disapproval. Do they love me? Do they hate me? And then have managers and agents who might resemble people who are oh, mother. Yeah. Oh, it's sticky. <laughs> Remember one time uh, I was upset that my manager didn't call me on my birthday. <laughs> and my wife went, he's not your dad. Fucking let it right. go. Quit confusing your issues that's a business that you know right and i was pissed at her but after like a couple hours i knew she was right and it is that and then you go through life going oh these are just triggers that this person and i even feel weird calling this person my mom like when i say mom i i don't want to use a real name in mm -hmm. this interview yeah. i don't i never had it i could never you, had it could you call her the vag you walked out of <laughs> Yeah, I'll say that. Uh, she had a cesarean. My father claimed she wouldn't open up enough. So you popped out like a birthday cake. I did. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, where do we begin? Like, mm. well, let's, let's start with uh, your, your earliest memories. Oh, okay. Well, we moved to my earliest memory. This is, this is horrific, too. My first memory is of, uh, of my father sitting me down on our counter and here in the valley when we first moved here and telling me that he's leaving that's literally my first memory from childhood the first cogent memory that i have and like yeah it's what do you remember thinking or feeling or i was so confused you don't understand i didn't understand as a child like do you think did you think it was your fault no I, interesting i didn't wow that's rare yeah i didn't blame myself i kind of intuitively knew she was the cause ah I knew it because I, I had a love repulsion thing with mom. I'm sure, I imagine you might have too, where you're like, <laughs> I'm so confused. Do I, I love you, hate you all the time? I, well, the, the thing that was difficult was her, her actions didn't match her words. Oh. She would praise me and praise me and sometimes cut me down, but the actions were always very confusing. Yes. You know, but go ahead. Always confusing. Yeah, I was never valid. I was always validated for being pretty. Or not pretty enough. She wanted me to be an actor, so I was in acting class from the time I was like four, five. Mm -hmm. She wanted me to be the Vegas showgirl that she wanted to become. Oh wow! But isn't it neat how I <laughs> took up the torch of becoming yeah. a show? Oh, they win. <laughs> well, plus the thing that's that's so <sighs> difficult is the love is conditional. Yeah, it's like if you if you can. Um, come over to their side and their point of view it's Ooh. love 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 but if you disagree right uh you know if you disagreed with my mom she would not let it go even when it would come to a memory that yes. th that i had in my 20s something that actually happened to me that she wasn't even there for she she kept saying no it didn't happen and it was it was innocuous it was having fillings replaced in my mouth <laughs> and she was like you didn't have your fillings replaced and i was like no, Wait a I minute. was there. I rem I remember it. And she's like, "No, you didn't." She wouldn't let it go. And there was like a hostility to it that. Um, he's sorry. Or, he's with my dog. He's rolling. No, around. it's he's all just good. mashing his face in your carpet. What's, it, what's his name? Theo Huxtable. Oh, I had to bring so, him. In. I'm sorry. It's that's rude. so. It's not a problem. Actually, um, I recorded an episode a little while ago, um, and 
when I was doing the the outro to it, um, my little dog Herbert <laughs> was taking exception apparently to what I was saying <laughs> and was letting it be not known. Not interested. Not yeah. Um, but anyway, so yes. yeah, that's the the thing that is so difficult is the conditional love because then yes. it's like my happiness depends on you accepting me. So it makes perfect sense to me that you'd become a, a stand-up comedian. Yeah, and it's very fucked now that I understand that dynamic and how do I continue doing stand-up in, in the light of knowing my history because it triggers every trigger and I how have. how do you shake off a bad show because oh, it means well, that you're worthless. Right. Well, and that thing that you're talking about, the invalidation, the like my mother took it to the extreme of, I remember when, I mean, this happened, I got kicked out about every... Once a month, my mother... Starting at what age? Oh, from the time my folks divorced. So like four or five. What? Yeah. You kicked out to where? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, my mother had custody of me. And so um, things like, you have too many socks. Um, what do you mean? You're stealing your father's socks. You have too many socks. Let's count these socks. And she would count the pairs of socks that I... Yeah, I had taken from my dad because I'm a kid. I don't care. I liked his socks. And that was grounds to kick me out of her home. We just lived in a small two-bedroom apartment in Tarzana. And I never forget the very first time she kicked me out. I was in second grade. And she was yelling at me all morning about the socks and the socks. And then uh, drops me off. It was a Thursday morning because we had church that morning. I went to a religious school. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm late for church. Church was the one place that felt okay. I loved Jesus as a small child. I loved the idea of a God watching over me because I knew that it wasn't cool at home. And, and somebody who yeah. you're told loves you unconditionally. Right. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So I remember her pulling into the parking lot and just, you know, in this little Toyota Tercel and saying, that's it. You're going to, you're kicked out. I'm kicking you out of the house. You're going to live with your father. Go live with your father. And I was just bereft as a second grader of just bawling, bawling, bawling. And I went to the church where everyone was already and I knew instinctually to cover that up. I knew that if I told the teacher that something like I I just knew. And thus began the process of like having feelings, sucking it up and going to perform. Like that's the beginning of my career as a performer. But then anyways, I go live with my dad because she kicked me out for whatever stupid reason. And then his house was better. Oh, my God. I almost knocked my teeth out again. Um, his she, house, she has veneers that I've she veneers. said are threatening to pop off. They popped out yeah. this morning. Yeah, sorry. I hope, yeah. I hope while you were uh, crying in the shower was when they <laughs> popped out. <laughs> ah, that would be the best. Oh, Tom, I don't have any front teeth. <laughs> clunk, clunk. I have like two nubbins right now for, yeah. for real front teeth. Um, so I go to my pop's house and my dad was doing the best he could, you know, an immigrant. But that house wasn't exactly stable really in all terms either so i'd call my mom to apologize because which is what you have to do because i i clearly have done something wrong right mm. i'm sorry you can't call them on their behavior because that what that's like they don't do anything wrong that's a brick wall that's, that's you're the wall. one yeah so i'd call her and she wouldn't pick up my phone calls so it was two weeks of leaving messages on your mother's answering machine and you're in, in second, second grade, grade. That that breaks my heart. Yeah. That breaks my heart. I mean, the stuff that I shared with you about my mom, I want to retract it all because oh, no. it just feels like uh, it's not even in the same fucking league with what with what you're you're 
you're dealing with. You think so? Because oh, yeah. I listened to something you said and I was like, I wanted to cry. Or I listened to Ryan Sickler's episode that he did. And I, I literally was in the dentist chair with tears streaming down my face because something, I guess when you're in it, it's not that, the weird part is, is that it's, it's bad, but it's not that bad. You can tolerate so much. As a, as a kid, you can tolerate so much as a human. And maybe because when you hear the, the other person describe it, you're hearing the greatest hits of the abuse. Yes, yes. And you're not hearing the moments of um, the good moments. Because I don't know about you, but there <laughs> there were good moments with my mom. There really? were some moments where I felt um, like this person loves me. And that's one of the things that makes it so difficult to trust my my own instincts or my own um i forget yeah. the what what the word is but um it sounds like there was just nothing good with with you and your mom from well, from that reaction you just had yeah and i try like i i actively try i'm in psychotherapy i go i've been going once a week for four years and it's completely changed my life like it's been the greatest thing and and I try now actively to go back because I was angry for a long time. I fucking hated her. And now I'm turning turning the corner where I'm like, all right, I forgive. And it's not I understand that it really wasn't her fault. She's not she's not there. It's like expecting my dog Theo to give me something that he's just not. He can't cook for me. <laughs> um but yeah, dude, I mean... He can lay a steaming turd, <laughs> which in desperate situations can be thought of as a meal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was I... Oh, I forget what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. that... that uh, but I forgive her and I... Oh, sorry, the few good moments. There are a few good memories I have. I One time we made brownies together and that was fun. And then one time... <laughs> <laughs> I actively... Do you want... I wrote them down. Yeah. Here we go. Because that's one of the things that I that, that I I want to know about relationships between a person and an abuser, because that's the thing that I think it makes it so easy to minimize it is to just go. But what about those good things? What oh, about those boy. good things? And it's so hard to hold those two experiences at the same time yeah. and say this was a complicated person. But yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So well, what, I'm trying some, to, and I'm actively trying got the to. brownies. Because, I, yeah, the brownies were neat that one time. We made instant brownies. And then uh, the only time my mother was calm and happy and in a good place was when uh, Love Connection came on. Oh. 7 p.m. and there's two episodes. So I was like, oh, good. The magic hour in our apartment was 7 to 8 p.m. when Chuck Woolery would do Love Connection and my mother and I would lay side like we would spoon on the couch and she was so into Chuck Woolery and and love and the irony is that my mother loved love she wanted that she we'd watch the love boat and we would watch Love Connection and those were the hours that I felt complete and safe and whole is when she and I would watch television together and I know that she desperately wanted self-help. Like, we had every self-help book. The irony is every self-help book on her shelves. Like, she had Barbara DeAngelis, How to Make Love All the Time, and <laughs> I'm Okay, You're Okay, and Dr. Wayne Dyer. I grew up, I read all this. She made me read all this So stuff, it sounds like she had a degree, a shred of <laughs> self-awareness where she, like, knew it wasn't okay to kick a second grader out. But, I think so. Well, you know, people that live with borderline personality disorder... Um, it's their emotional outbursts are like it's like trying to control a raging fire from, from what i i, I yeah. understand and so it she must have lived with so much guilt and shame or certainly yes. moments of it 
Yes, and here's the thing too is that yes, and I, I imagine that too. And I, the one thing that saved me is that she worked for a psychiatrist. Another irony amongst right, and this man was wonderful, and he helped me a lot, and I could go to him. I think he knew that my something was up. Oh, how could he not? Yeah. Um, but the shame part, and my mother didn't want to admit that maybe she wasn't a perfect mom that was a huge part of it like i so what happened with me is like so this whole childhood of push pull you're out you're in you suck you're amazing comes to a head like i turned 12 years old and i have this nervous breakdown because i'm i'm all alone with her too keep in mind this is i'm an only fucking child dude it's me and her so i have no mirror i have no one to go yeah she is like this is nutty I just go into my room and I play records, like I said, and hide. I was just—I spent most of my childhood hiding in a bedroom. What hey, did you? Yeah. That's okay. What did you think when you watched Mommy Dearest <laughs> and the kid's name is Christina? Yeah, I know. And the irony is, I just watched that movie like a month ago with my husband. And I was like, dude, wait a minute, did this you, isn't this far off. What did it bring up in you when you were watching it? I got it. I was like, that's a lot of my. That's if my mother were an actress, which is what she wanted to be. That was her, and I. That Christina thing of smile, everything's great. We're doing this right. You look amazing. Everything's perfect. And I, by the time I hit 12, the shit hit the fan because I had become suicidal, depressed. I was cutting. I was, I hated school because I was getting into fights with people. I, it was a nightmare for me because I thought I was crazy. That's the problem with the gaslighting stuff is that you start to think it's your, you are, clearly I'm a bad person because you don't trust your own integrity yeah that was the word i was looking for that my therapist told me she integrity. said you, you don't trust your own integrity and i struggle i'm getting much better at that now where i go oh i'm allowed to feel mad at my agent right now i'm allowed to feel like i need a boundary here okay but yeah dude so i get i get crazy i turn 12 and i freak out and i try to kill myself in a in in the school bathroom stall <laughs> i was cutting myself and i was like i'm just gonna fucking finish this off go all the way yeah and i i'd been in a spiral for like a year actually i was 14 by the time i tried to do that and i um i'm just i was this is it i gotta go because i i don't know what's wrong something's wrong and it's me it's gotta be me and i i remember i the school called her because they found me in this bathroom stall just covered in blood and i had you know, it was very dramatic. Fourteen-year-old girl acting out. Uh, you know that that is dramatic. <laughs> you know yeah. that's not a, that's not a fourteen-year-old girl being overly dramatic. You know, <laughs> because her boyfriend broke up with her. No, and I don't. I don't believe any fourteen-year-old girl that cuts is being overly dramatic. They they are. Oh, it's in it. Yeah, you're in it. You're you're in it. And people that say that they do that for attention, I want to punch them. I agree. I think to hurt to harm yourself, and and I look at fourteen-year-old girls now and. They're babies. I was a baby and I was smoking cigarettes, dropping acid. I was in Hollywood every weekend. I was doing bad shit. Why Why was I running the streets at 14? And it's because my mother was remarried to this new guy, new family. Oh, fuck her. You know, my daughter's out. She's, she's not behaving how I want her to behave anyway. Get the fuck out of here. So, and the, the worst part of it is like, I... I remember just being in such the depths of despair. I was like, I, I, I want to die. And I, they found me at school. They called my mother. She comes to the school. This is my favorite part of this. And uh, she sees my arms. She sees the state that I'm in and proceeds to beat the shit out of me and oh hit me. Yeah. my 
God, it really was all about her. Yeah, yeah. It really was. Yes. That's the pain of it, is I go, well, motherfucker, like, what do I have to do here? And I had said to her before, I, I had said to her countless times, I need help. You got to send me to a mental hospital, because I had friends that were in mental hospitals, and it sounded pretty great. You get to make bracelets and go to group therapy, <laughs> and like, I, something... And you get to collapse. Right, right, right. You get to collapse. Wow. Where it... nobody's going to judge you. Right. It, you're expected to collapse in a mental hospital. I fantasize right. sometimes about going into a mental hospital and just being in bed. Like Me go, too, going in, still. <laughs> going into regular hospitals, I've always, not only do I not dread it, I kind of in, I kind of enjoy it. I, I yeah. My favorite moment is right before they put you under because, you know, a sweet nurse, you know, nurses just have that, that comforting motherly vibe about yeah. them. And they put a warm blanket on you and then they shoot you up with Valium. Oh, man. It's like, I've, that's what I wanted my whole life was to feel warm and fuzzy and cared for. So I totally get the, the wanting to go to a mental hospital. But, you know, we have a survey on the, on the website where people share their experiences in mental hospitals yes. and many, 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 many of them are anything but warm and fuzzy. Yeah, my best friend, Jenny, uh, who just came on my this podcast I'm starting to, talks about she grew up in a mental home essentially from age uh, 15, no, 13 to 18. Her, she was in a series of them, and uh, it's no, it, I get that it's no salvation. She was in mental, mental home or mental hospital? She was in mental hospitals, yeah. I guess. Her mother had put her in very, she and I were best friends at the time. And the decision for her was to go into mental hospitals and the decision for me, what my mother decided rather than shame herself and admit to being a shit mother, maybe, right? Or being incapable. She decided the best thing for me was to go to Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> right? Your life is delicious. <laughs> it is like a, it's like a. The darkest chocolate truffle. You think so? Is, for, oh, I'm, I'm for, so pleased. For for this show. Yeah. For this show. Yeah. It is like a handmade Swiss chocolate <laughs> wrapped in a ribbon <laughs> given to me, the host. Can I, can I tell you that coming from someone who only yeah. listens to horrible stories, that's... Yeah. Really wonderful, thank you. You really, really? You think it's, god damn it. Oh, I'm Christina, so used to it. It's, oh, good. It's... <laughs> My heart breaks, and yet it, it, I, uh, because your attitude, because you're you're now realizing that it wasn't you, it just makes me want to stand. It makes me want to slow clap you. It makes me want to slow clap you in a good way. In yeah, a good yeah. way, like like I just want to hug you. I oh, just want to so hug sweet. you. Thanks. You know, it's I'll take hugs. Yeah, and I, and I I think the listeners right now are feel the exact same way like mm. your spirit is just fucking oh God, beautiful so and i get embarrassed by positive uh, feedback just so you know i'm like i get really thanks thank okay. you for saying that and i here's the thing about me that i knew at a very early age when i was four that was the last time i remember being a child like i think four years old was the last time i was a kid and then i grew up into an adult by the time i was like six i i think i had lost whatever light but the person I really am is the person I was for, you know what I mean? Not the suffering and not the, um, not the bullshit. And I don't know. It's just, if anybody is listening to this and they are tortured by the shit they went through, know that that's not you. That's your, that's the physical body. That's your ego. That's what happened to something at a stage in your life. It's not truly who you are. 
I think I just got out of survival mode like this year where I, I wasn't always panicked. I wouldn't wake up. I, I don't wake up anymore with that. Like, oh, what am I going to do to survive? I got to make money. I got <laughs> like that, that functioning anxiety, right? That running I game. I was just saying yesterday to someone, I, when the sun rises, I have a personal grudge against it. Like, really? <laughs> we have to do this again? Oh, right. Oh, I remember that How one. How dare you? Yeah. And also because we live longer, I was just saying this to someone like, I'm 37 now and I should be dead, right? In the medieval period, like I'd just be long dead. And you think, fuck, I got to do this for like another, hopefully another 37. And some days are just like, why do I do this again? Why am I telling shit jokes to people in Ohio who sometimes don't give a fuck? Or why am I, why do I do the things I do? And I don't know. I don't know the answer. Some days are great and some days aren't great, right? But here we go. On the upside of everything, those nuns, because I had such a strong foundation in Jesus and and I loved all that stuff, the nuns ironically saved my... They, I say ironically. It's not ironic at all. They There's saved my awesome life. There's some awesome fucking nuns out yeah. there. Yeah, there are. And I know a lot of people had different experiences, but the school I went to was all girls and it, we wore uniforms. And I'm blessed enough that my parents had the money to send me somewhere like that. Like, that was the blessing, is that, like, I could put my bag down and it wouldn't get stolen. And that was huge for me. And I did feel safe and I made great friends. And I, I had problems. I mean, I had a mohawk, I had an orange mohawk <laughs> when I was put in that school. And I was seen as a troubled, which I was. I, I had yeah. straight Ds when I applied to this school. I had straight Ds and one fail. And I begged... My mother and I went into this nun, her this principal nun, and cried and begged them to let me into this school because I was I was I was on the edge of either failure or something what, else. In your and you were fourteen at that time. Yeah, ninth grade. What in your mind was the school going to to give you? Just that you sanctuary. wanted sanctuary because I I grew up I went to public school I went to private school and then my mother in sixth grade decided to pull me out of this nice Christian school because I needed to learn about real life my life was too easy according to my mother and she wanted to quote toughen me up uh. so <laughs> so she sends me to the school called Portola which is actually here in in the valley and at the time they were busing in kids from like rougher neighborhoods and on the outside I look like a lot of girls like I'm a blonde and I imagine I look like a pretty spoiled kid but it, it wasn't I wasn't that person and I don't know I was also very angry and I did pick a lot of fights with people it was I hated school so I was like I'm just gonna stop going I just fucking I hate it so I just wanted a place where I didn't worry about getting my ass kicked every day and like not having to be goth because I was goth too and like I it was nice to not have to be super gothic because like you know when you're a kid you identify with that culture like oh is my shirt cool enough today am I cool enough today and so plus I yeah I would imagine too there there was something uh, alluring about the structure of oh it. coming God, from, yes. from such chaos it's like okay there's 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 an order to, yeah. to what they have in store for me. Yeah, and I wanted to go to boarding school. I begged for that one. They found one in Germany. It was too expensive. I was like, yeah, send me to fucking Germany. Please. <laughs> <laughs> as far away from this, you know, I couldn't wait to get out. I just had to get the fuck out. Did you, did you move out early or 
Because I had turned uh, 17, I was like, I'm... No, good. no, I, I didn't even realize that um, anything was wrong until I went into therapy at 25, mm. and my therapist pointed out that it was inappropriate for my mom to be grabbing my ass and tell me how cute I was. Oh, God. Now, to me, that's... To me, hearing that is the ultimate... Because conf- that's... That's mommy. That's so sexually caught. Like, how do you, how do you? When it's been done to you your whole life, you don't, you, first of all, you kind of shut down because you go, I don't enjoy this, but I'm so used to things being on my mom's terms. Mm -hmm. And, and she's so fragile and unhappy. This makes her happy. So Mm. I'm going to let her, I, I didn't even know what my needs were. So that was the first awakening that I didn't have a sense of of what my needs were other than bringing myself pleasure you know getting loaded right. you know sleeping needs, around like emotional needs and yeah. so i i didn't have those either until in my 30s yeah. yeah um but that that was the first time that i i realized something might not it might not be as rosy as i thought i was because if you had asked me at 24 what you know actually i think i th- think i went to therapy at like 23 anyway it doesn't matter um if you'd asked me before then what was you know your your family life like i'd say it's awesome i'm right. super super privileged you know my parents and on paper it was they paid for my college mm. you know they helped me uh financially when i when i needed it so but as, as you know there's a difference between what our functional day-to-day lives are given and what our soul is yeah. is given and i think if you come from abuse you learn to shut down your soul and to not listen to it and not trust your integrity or yeah. your experience and so then you just think well i'm sad and angry because that's who i am and yes. you're not that four-year-old girl who was sweet and yeah and, and, hopeful, and hopeful and joyful i my core is actually quite joyful and i know that that's not hip to say as a comedian but I really do, like, I have so much empathy for people who suffer, and I get it, because, like, maybe that's a function of having gone through so much shit, is that you, like, I don't try not to judge people, even, like, the sour-faced person at a show, like, never judge them just because they're not laughing at you. You, you don't, don't know, know what, what, what they're going through. the fuck happened to them before they stepped into your showroom. You don't. You don't. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm so touched by you and your story, is it, it, it's your spirit. You do have a hopefulness and a sense of humor about it. That um, to me, I never get tired of, of of hearing it. It just reminds me that our abuse and our story is not the entirety of our lives. It's a That's por- right. it's a portion of it. Yes, and also like, I mean, you seem to be pretty functional and happy too, and have have grown past it. Obviously, because you can talk about this mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, and and also understanding that my past will not define me. Don't you dare rob me of my happiness going forward and that's like i that's why i wanted to do this show because I, I just complaining about my mom and poor me i was worried like i don't want to come off as that person that's you like don't. i'm a victim like and i actively choose not to i choose not to identify that way because it's fucking lame you know like there's a point where you go all right this did happen now it's my responsibility as an adult to go forward and i want to have kids and 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 that's such a great point is once we do realize what had happened to us 
it's then our responsibility, which seems like it sucks, but it's the truth. <laughs> we have a responsibility to our loved ones and to ourselves to say, okay, what am I going to do to process this? And, you know, I yeah. always say that hopefully we don't reexamine our childhoods to make our parents suffer. We do it so we can process the feelings we've been running from so we can stop suffering. Absolutely. I agree with that. And also... Um, it's funny because my, my dad, like, I love him and we're very close. And I'm very lucky. All you, all you need is one good parent. I think Ryan Sickler said that too. He's like, you just need one. And I agree. If you have, you're lucky to have two great, if you get one person in your family that you could tolerate, like, oh my God. And so my father, you know, we had our shit growing up too. But like, the fact that he's lucid enough to say, you know what? I'm sorry. I may have fucked up when you were a kid here and there. I may have not done the right thing. I forgive. And I'm like, you're right. You know what? I still love you. But the fact that my mother will never have the ability to say, hey, I'm sorry. I think I may have messed up here. That's what that's the fucker of this is that I can't get that closure of, hey, you know, you're crazy, right? You know, there's a reason I don't talk to you. And it's not because I'm an asshole and everyone else is a jerk in the family. She thinks we're everyone in the family ignores her because we're all jerks. And I've tried to tell her, like, do you really you don't see the commonality, the thread here? Uh, Okay. All right. Uh, And I'll never get that. That's what kills me. I don't, it doesn't, I can't, I will never get the validation of, of that. And she's going to die physically one day, which is okay. I'm okay with that because uh, she's dead in my heart. She's dead to me already. So the physical death, and I hate this, this is even awful. Or, I know what you're going to say. It's a and relief. I agree, a relief. <laughs> I, I had a moment when the last time I stayed with my mom was like three years ago Ugh. and she was gaslighting me and, and you know, just pushing and pulling and, and she wanted to wake up one morning and, and she wanted to read like spiritual passages from, from a book. And this was like 10 minutes after her invalidating and, and, and poking at me. And, and I said to her, mom, I know you want to be closer to me, but I don't feel safe around you. Mm. And, it got no reaction. It was almost like she was looking through me. And then the next morning, I woke up before she did, and I walked past her bedroom door, and she was asleep. And my first thought was, I hope she never wakes up. <laughs> and then I felt like a terrible person. Right. And, but then I'd been in enough recovery to go, that's not on me. Those are my feelings, and my feelings are fucking valid. Yeah. They may not be based in reality. I think they were in that situation. But I, <laughs> I need to give credence to them, at least to examine them and go, am I filtering my fear through something, or is this reality? Yeah. And that was reality. God, don't, don't you wish we could talk like this every day, all day? It'd be so much better. You know what? I got to say, being in my support groups, I do. Oh, maybe I should join support. Yeah. Because I listen to Hay House Radio a lot. I don't know if you know what that is. No. Like Louise Hay and Marianne Williamson, like all this uh, okay. self-help. Kind of touchy-feely stuff. God, I love it. Yeah, it's yeah. really helped me. But it would be nice to do this, uh, not just an hour in therapy. I should probably do that. Yeah, it'd be good. I'm sure there's a borderline it's, group somewhere, right? There there are um, support groups out there for children who were raised by dysfunctional uh, parents. Uh, oh, yeah. My I, mom dragged me to... I remember my mother dragged me to, like, Codependent Anonymous meetings when I was a teenager. Like, what, doesn't it ruin it for you when the, that person drags you to, yeah. that, to that meeting? Yeah. Like, yeah. my mom pushed me for the longest time to... <laughs> to, to go into the support group that she was in, which is for the loved ones of the alcoholic. Ugh. And to this day, 
um, I went to a few of them and I just, I, maybe I'll go back, but I couldn't do it because it reminded me of her. Yeah. And there were women in there that reminded me of my mom, Oof. but, but recovered, but yeah. still, there's still the traits of it that, that reminded me of it. And like, I think th- like the physicality of these women or just the, 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 the way they would they, talk and, yeah. you know, kind of kind of overly chatty and yeah and, all that high energy yeah, yeah that kind of high energy that kind of controlling um <sighs> thing that that just uh I, I like recoil like it's a hot fucking flame when i'm around uh that that kind that of energy, energy sometimes where, where there's where you get the feeling that there's a fucking rage underneath yeah. it it's like that 50s housewife face on top of the rage yeah. and you're like okay when's the mask gonna <laughs> pop off and yeah. i'm gonna see the scales yeah when's the other the other foot gonna the other shoe gonna drop other right shoe gonna drop, and yeah. i you know it's interesting you say that about like i i had the hardest time too being a woman and like um identifying with traditionally feminine things because i i I rejected so much, so much of what my mother was that it almost threw me into existing. How do they? They can they call it in Latin via negativa, like a negative relation to. Like I had defined myself so. My mother's materialistic. She married for money. I'm marrying for love. I'm going to study philosophy. I'm you know I'm going to get into Buddhism. I'm going to do the exact opposite. And then you realize like oh she still has control over me. Mm-hmm. This isn't about. This is still about her. God damn it! This is still about her. This fucking bitch man. And then you go okay. Well, who really am I? I thought I hated purple. I thought I hated purple. No, my mother hated purple. I thought I hated wearing dresses. No, my mother hated putting me in dresses. I thought I didn't want long hair. No, my mother didn't want me to have long hair. Wow. And I think that process in, in not in philosophy, in therapies, you go, oh, who the fuck am I? Like, I, I love... Uh, I love unicorns. That was my mother who said I shouldn't like that stuff. And are these all ex- uh, yeah real examples? <laughs> yeah, okay. pink. The color pink. I, she wouldn't let me wear pink. She wouldn't let me order chicken pot pies at Coco's, and like <laughs> because she didn't like chicken pot pies. Oh my god! And you're like, well, I, I quite like them. They're really delicious. I like a, I like that stuff. And I thought that was all my stuff. And that's what you realize. It's not your stuff. It was. It's her stuff. I think the saddest thing I've heard so far is that there's somebody that doesn't like pot pies <laughs> that is oh she hates how do you anything not like a good pot pie hates american stuff like that yeah it's like soup and pie i know it's two awesome it's things crusty flaky oh a good on. crust there's nothing like a good crust. i know right yeah, people that prefer cake over pie i don't trust uh i agree yeah well what kind of cake i don't like white frosting or white like those cheap just Gelson's cake or Ron's nothing cakes. should be compared to pie. Pie is just a good fruit pie. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing like it. It's what's it's your? I don't best. like key lime though. I, I'll no, throw that no, in the street. Yeah. Um, berry berry pies. Yeah. Uh, oh, for strawberry sure. rhubarb. A good strawberry oh, that's rhubarb. Good. Is, what is uh, rhubarb anyway? It's just it brings that tart to it. Just makes oh, it so complex. It's so, so good. It's so good. How yeah. do we get off on that? Oh, it's oh, pot pies. Pie. Yeah. So, so defining and also kind of like and I and I see myself in the last few years like on stage I just I deliberately I do this because I think it's hard for women in stand up as it is and I I don't like to be sexualized when I'm trying to get people to listen to me but I even look at how I dress kind of you know I'm kind of butchy and I I don't mind that but now I'm going yeah I really kind of like flowy dresses I I think that's who I am and and it's okay and 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 then I start to incorporate stuff about her 
in me like she wears red lipstick and she has red nails because she's this blonde hair blue eyed beautiful woman she's so pretty on the outside my god it's so deceptive (laughs) (laughs) that's the problem too is that she's goddamn charming yep Ooh, and isn't that a pisser when everyone wants your mom to be their mom? Your mom is so adorable. (laughs) She is so sweet. There's a side to her that is. Yeah. But it's like, oh, you should hear her just going on rants about the neighbors. Right. Going on rants about my dad. Going on rants about every relative. I don't think there's a relative... Uh, with the exception of maybe uh, some cousins that that I haven't heard her pick apart. For sure. Or um, my mother uh, would take issue with the waitress. I remember her at the Japanese restaurant. She sat she sat us down next to the toilet because she fucking hates me because she's she's a Japanese or whatever. I'm like, oh, it's because she's Asian. She sat us down <laughs> in a, an undesirable. How does that make any sense to you? Fucking bitch. I'll fucking tell her. And then she would like confront the Asian waitress with a racial slur and like oh. and the worst part is when she got remarried to a sociopath so she remarries this Indian guy who's a fucking psycho too now the two of them are like high-fiving each other at the dinner table about who they've screwed over that day oh. like bragging and then my stepdad would start fights in public like at the supermarket like oh you're a fucking kid your kid's too loud what fuck you bitch and like would start fights oh, with strangers and I was like this is insane like I I had to get like I had to get out. I got out as soon as I could once I was old enough. Uh, yeah. But what did that feel like? Fantastic. Uh, went to college. Barely got into college, but I did. And it was. But then I had running anxiety about failing because I was like, if I fail at college, I I gotta go this back home. This is my last chance. Yeah. <laughs> had hives the first year oh my god because you're like i gotta get straight a's because i gotta make something of myself because i gotta get out i gotta get out i gotta be somebody and that's also the sickness too is like i thought that if i just became somebody if i became successful then that would cover up the hole right that would fix this gaping wound and i feel successful in my career and, and guess what it didn't uh didn't do that i can't it can't, yeah. you know, n- no amount of financial success will ever heal a, a childhood wound. No, no other person will ever heal that. They may aid us in our recovery, but, you know, ultimately we got to learn to love ourselves. And that is the fucking Mount Everest. <sighs> how do you do that? That is the Mount Everest. Well, I want to hear how you uh, <laughs> are, are starting to do it. How, what what it was like the first time maybe you got a glimmer of that because it, mm. it sounds like you, you're... You know the fact that you're starting to recognize what you what you like was that the first yeah. part for you to to go I like that and I'm yeah. not going to judge it. Yeah, I like that. And also, why am I living my life so hard? Why am I in what way? Um, why am I on the road every week? What's that about? Why am I? Why were you? Why are the stakes so high for me? Because I thought that I had to be six. I have to be number one. I have to be the best. I have to. If I don't do this, I will fail. Failure. If I fail, I'm a bad person. Mom's right. You know, um, that black and white thinking, which I also share. uh, There's a great (laughs) article called Co-Narcissism by Dr. Alan Rappaport. And one of the things he says that children um, who grew up with a narcissistic parent struggle with is nuanced thinking. Everything yeah. has is black or white. I'm a piece of shit or I'm the king. And boy, just being a stand-up comedian Ugh. feed into that because you have a great show and you're like, I'm fucking set. Yeah. I'm on the right path. You have a terrible show and you're like, I'm a fraud. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's take a little pause here and give uh, some love to uh, a sponsor of ours. Uh, Pillpack. 
God bless them for supporting this show. And uh, PillPack is a uh, an online pharmacy that delivers pills, vitamins, whatever you want, pre-sorted meds uh, right to your door. They they bundle them according to uh, what days you need them, what time of the day, and they just roll out like uh, almost like those things that dispense uh, deli tickets to you at the at the deli counter. It's uh, it's such a great idea because I don't know about you, but I'm constantly second guessing myself going, did I forget to take my meds today? It's nice you don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy, judging other people for uh, not having their meds filled on time or going to the pharmacy and getting your prescription partially filled and having to come back and wait in that long line again. Uh, pill pack ships to uh, prescriptions to 33 states and non-prescriptions to all 50. And here's the part that I think is awesome. It's super easy to unroll. All you got to do is contact you and they contact your old pharmacy and make sure that everything gets forwarded. They time it out right. It's, uh, they've, they've really thought of everything and they have great customer service because they know that your meds are important. So um, go to their website. It's pillpack.com slash happy hour. And that way they'll know that you're listeners of ours. And uh, maybe there's a chance if you go there and visit. If enough of you do that, they'll keep supporting our show and uh, help keep uh, this baby afloat financially. And um, yeah, again, go to pillpack.com slash happy hour. And uh, you'll get the first month free, too, when you visit it. Once again, pillpack.com slash happy hour. And uh, so now let's get back. We were talking about uh, having bad shows and uh, feeling like being a fraud. And I recently, that's absolutely 100% accurate. And I've gotten over that because I go, oh, well, there's another show tomorrow. And we all fail. And it wasn't their cup of tea. Or maybe they enjoyed it, but they just smiled and they didn't laugh. Yeah. And I also like, you know, you you just realize, too, this is not for me. This is someone else's thing. Who cares? I'm over that hump. You know what I started doing, and this is so fucking embarrassing, and I can't even believe I'm going to tell you this. This is, I'm just going to do it, because if it helps somebody out there, then please do this too. So Louise Hay, uh, founder of Hay House Radio, she's this wonderful, like 80-year-old, weirdly enough, blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman, kind of a maternal figure, isn't that weird, Christina, (laughs) that you would want to identify (laughs) with? She, um, She started like... The self-help movement she believed that you could heal your body by healing your mind and she helped people with aids in the 80s and uh she wrote she has this book like how to love yourself and she has this exercise oh, i can't believe i'm fucking sharing this okay do this go in the mirror go look in the mirror and say i love you to yourself just try it and she says see what comes up and i try like the first time you do it well, wow i i couldn't believe how much I hated myself. What do I, I don't listen for years. I wouldn't listen to recordings of my voice. Cause Oh God, I hate this. I hate it. Oh, I can't that, that criticism. So my mother didn't have to criticize me anymore. Cause I had internalized that lovely voice telling me what a piece of shit I was. Yeah, The Trojan horse was in. <laughs> <laughs> it was in. Man. All right. Yeah. 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 And I started doing that and going and kind of breaking those things apart. I love you. Say that to yourself. I love you. What do you hear? What's the first thing that comes up? Well, you don't deserve love because you're too fat. Wait a minute. Am I? What? Where's that from? Like, and I started to examine the thoughts that came up. Um, who, how dare you have the audacity yeah. to say you love yourself? How narcissistic. And I actually went through this phase where I just kept doing it. And I was like, I'm just going to push through this. And eventually I something's going to give. And I went through a week 
where I was so happy because I was like, oh, I found this thing. I found this person. It was me this whole time. Like, because I wouldn't talk the way I used to talk to myself. I wouldn't talk to my spouse that way. And I wouldn't even talk to my dog that way. The horrible shit that I was saying to myself. Give me some greatest hits. With the, <laughs> I things. mean, every, every I, you can't parallel park for shit. Um, you're, obviously, I'm too fat. I'm always too fat. Uh, that wrinkle on your forehead, you need to get Botox. It's not, it's not cute. Your teeth are definitely not white enough. You better succeed. Otherwise, if you don't, you, you're going to be a loser. No one's going to love you. You'll never get, you'll never amount to anything. You'll be forgotten. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I never thought I was stupid. I knew that I was smarter than my mother. So that really helped me out. (laughs) Plus I read a lot of philosophy books to make me feel superior to other people. That's a, I have a question for you since you seem like, you know, why, why is the ego so negatively bent? Like what's, why does it hunt for bad stuff all the time? Like, why are we programmed negatively? I think it's trying to make sense. I think that's why it's always saying you're better than or you're worse than is it's trying to come up with a result, but life is not black and white like the ego wants it to be. Mm. So the, the, the ego is not subtle, I think. Mm. So it it it's always looking for some type of finality so mm-hmm. that it that we can rest and go here's the answer now I know the truth now I can move on to something else right that's why I think it goes back to self love because when I'm in a place of self love it doesn't matter what other people think of me isn't that amazing and I. Yeah, and I just started praying to every morning and meditating and being like, just God, same thing what you're doing. Take this stuff from me. Take this. Help me see clearly on this and that. And it really helps align you with yourself and with the sense that you're not the end of it. Like, it can't end in my puny little dumb brain. If you can connect with something, someone meaningful, that's really the game. For me, the work trumps the uh, the anxiety, the depression, the 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 nightmare that is the trap of my ego thoughts mm-hmm. about the judgment about who I am. I can't do that. I can't bear that anymore. That's why I started going to see a shrink man. I'm like, why am I riddled? Why? Why my mother? <laughs> my mother was in the hospital. She quote had a stroke, uh, and I went to this is years ago, and I went to visit her. I'm like, I'm a, to the doctor. I'm like, oh, did she have a stroke? No, she had a panic attack and uh, lamps are us and we had to send the ambulance for her. Um, and I, that, that's the last time I saw my mother in, in that hospital. And I get calls from social workers every now and then that your mother's not taking her medicine. I'm like, well, fucking not mm. my problem. Like, <laughs> Good for you. Well, because I know she's cared for financially, so I don't feel bad. Yeah. And she sends me cryptic emails or, no, I'm sorry, she stopped using emails or the telephone because they're listening. Um, so oh, man, she's really deep. descended. Yeah. Um, she used to send me letters to the clubs I was working, which was kind of a neat, a nice surprise, like cryptic things about listening to messages and blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. But, uh, yeah. It's... But the point is, is like, I, again, I can focus on that sadness and that shit. And, and you know oh. that she would drag you down with her if you tried to quote unquote fix her yeah, or give her what she needed because... Oh, God. And that's the thing about people with borderline personality that I feel so much for is their ability to trust is because they were probably abandoned so severely is it's the thing that stands between you and having meaning and purpose. 
in your yeah. life because if you can't get vulnerable in trust, you can't make that human connection. Yeah. And that's why I'm always on my soapbox about support groups, mm. finding people that are appropriate that you can bond with. Some people can you get can it through therapy that. or close friends, but for a lot of people, they don't have people in their lives that can talk that you know language of the of the heart where you can get real and you mm -hmm. can let all of your or at least some of your shame and your secrets and and that stuff yeah because that's the alienating part of this is that what what you and i went through it's so extreme to a lot of people and like my husband uh he has such a great family and he didn't experience the same things i did and so i don't feel as though we speak the same exact language. Whereas you here, I'm like, oh yeah, you get that because you've had a similar thing going and it helps. I, I should probably reach out to more people that have had it. I just don't, I don't know. I'm so, I'm still kind of, it's still raw. It's still, it's still processing. It's, I'm still, that's why I think I came here to get it out and like, all right, man. And all the therapy you're doing is definitely moving moving yeah, your forward I, ju I just find support groups turbo turbo charge Ooh, I like the experience it. it just uh it exponentiates how's that for another Ooh. nice word yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> um yeah i i need both they both give me uh things different yeah. different things oh i wanted to say about my mom too and i i've started to have empathy for people with this thing with bpd um, she had a horrific childhood just just to go on record like mother dies her mother dies of breast cancer when my mother is 12 years old her own father gives her up for adoption because <laughs> oh. he's an alcoholic and can't care for her she's adopted by some relative the husband's abusive I'm pretty sure she was sexually molested my mother and abused and then she marries my dad and they leave this their country and then she's abandoned again in her mind by my father because of a divorce. So like I, I get it. Like I just want that to be clear too. Like I get that like Louise Hayes says, we're all victims of victims. And like my mother could not give me what she didn't have. And I totally get that. And I get I mean, it's hard for me to see it from her person. It's so fucking hard for me to go like, yeah, I feel, you know, I hope people out there at BPD or because I just I, I, I can't I'm not there yet. I'm not. And it's not your burden to carry. Yeah. It's you have your own burden to to carry. And you can have empathy for somebody without carrying their pain. Yeah. Those though you don't have to save them. You know, you're you're not a bad person for not going to quote unquote save somebody because you oh, can't it's not gonna happen you can't well if i respond to the letters if i respond to the wacky doodle it's a cycle of now okay so here's what's gonna happen mom i'm gonna show up and now i'm gonna repent for what she didn't come to my wedding that's the last time I, she didn't come to my wedding because i got married when she was going through a divorce and how dare i get married when she's suffering oh so yeah God. so she didn't come to my wedding and like which is a blessing because God forbid she would have oh, fucking turned it into about her. Yeah. Oh my God. My mother-in-law and her. Okay. How did you not make me the wedding band? <laughs> Why am I not singing? Exactly. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. God damn it. Yeah. What a nightmare. That so uh, I think the last from your past, the last thing we were talking about was when you uh, went to college, you had... Yeah. Panic attacks, or no, not severe. panic attacks. Oh, well, as a okay. child, too, I had yeah. them, yeah, as a child. I had a severe phobia of vomiting as a kid, because I was, uh, my mother, when I would vomit, would overreact to it, I think is what happened. And so I, she was very boundary-stepping with my body, too. 
right? Like that's another part of it is that they're enmeshed in your body. I'm it's an extension like of it's, her. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Like I got my period for the first time, and she was like, she goes, I told her, I go, Mom, I got a period. Let me see. Let you see. Let you see what, bitch? Like by that time, I was like, you're not gonna see not like fuck you. It was just uh, my body was her body. Yeah. And so to control the vomiting for me, or to have that food phobia, I think I didn't have an eating disorder, but like. It was almost there. It was right on the cusp of it, you know? I get a lot of um, female listeners and survey takers who had that same experience with their moms, where like mm. they wanted to inspect their vaginas to yes. make everything was okay, to make them see their, you know, I would look at your periods and let me <laughs> see how your bosoms are yeah. developing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, All of that. So embarrassing, that that. Em- enmeshment thing yeah. yeah that in my book that's that's covert sexual abuse it may not have been sure sexual to them but it's it affects oh our our sexuality say no more it's, it makes intimacy difficult have you struggled with physical intimacy yeah i mean my mother my mother being or, or emotional intimacy yeah, 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 all one. of the above a b c d all, yeah. all the yeah uh my mother was so being a good european in their minds you know both my parents were like walk around naked for many years like we were naked fine but um mom felt the need to teach me about sex very early like nine years old it's the sex books it's the oh here's the oral sex creams i use with my boyfriends here's Playgirl magazine and i'm like why are you telling me this here's my here's my douchebag that i keep and like the old school douchebag with the big red bulb like lenny bruce i think's mother he describes her having the same one like jesus do i need to see everything that goes into your vagina so i was so grossed out by that and i had so much guilt around sexuality until i got married and then that really like every time i had boyfriends and i was i had a great i my first boyfriend was awesome the boy i lost my virginity to why we dated for a year before and he was like this still kind uh, person I didn't I was lucky in that I my dad loved me so I had good relationships with dudes that wasn't the problem guilt was the problem that's awesome but then I got married and the guilt subsided Catholic oh guilt. it's subsided it subsided once I, see. I got married you, you, you became comfortable with your with sex and sexuality and, your body. and I didn't oh I wasn't oversexed the way some girls go I was angry I was a punker I was violent I was you know taking baseball bats to mailboxes i was rage i wasn't whoring that probably helped <laughs> you the, the, the hitting the mailboxes oh, fantastic yeah i love violence and, and yeah. give me some snapshots <laughs> of the violence hey? well okay yeah me and my friend jenny like we would egg egg cars in the neighborhood the or best. break windows Fuck. and that was bad i mean looking back i was a real asshole i would hate for someone to do that to my stuff yeah. but Egging was okay in my book. Breaking a window is what it was a a little little over my line, but egging a car. I love the adrenaline rush of running. You know, if they would, if their brakes would screech, that was like a (laughs) shot of cocaine. I used to throw cans of food onto the freeway and then hear the crash. Oh my god! Like oh my god! Like I was a psycho. That's bad. That's I feel bad about that. Yeah. God damn it! Yeah, no, I'm all fucking guilty. Um. Anyway, we hit we uh, when there when there wasn't snow. uh, So, you you know, when winter was over and you couldn't snowball cars, somebody came up with the idea one time. Well, let's throw mud balls at them. So we were throwing mud balls at cars and this car passed by us. And I saw that the window was rolled down and 
we didn't hear anything hit, but its oh. brakes screeched, which I think meant that we had hit them. <laughs> and this car started chasing us, and we were oh. in downtown Homewood, and my friend and I, we all split because we were, this guy was pissed, and he was big. And it started chasing us, and we ran down this alley. And I remember we opened the door to try to go into this place, and there was a bunch of people like dancing. To, it was like a disco <laughs> lesson. And and we're like, oh, oh, we can't go in there. And so we hid behind the, the door. We opened the door, and we hid behind it. And our legs were showing, you know, underneath oh, the door. Fuck. And the car, we the car came down the alley, just slowly cruising for us. I don't think I've ever been as scared as I was. And I heard the little kid saying, kill him, daddy, kill him. And it didn't see us and it passed by. And we never, we never threw mud balls again after that. But that high. That's the best. We were high for hours after that. It was talking about it. Yeah. I was shaking. It was, it was amazing. See, I like that. And I was a punker too. And I love that aggression, that punk rock. Punk rock was the best thing that ever happened to me. And then we'd go to shows out in Hollywood and I was, I would go into a mosh pit for like five oh, seconds. Colliding I, with people is the best. Oh, it's so great. I really have. And I think because I didn't want to identify feminine, so I identify masculine. My father was the sane one. So I always t- I always took the boys. I did what the boys were doing. I was more of a tomboy and I liked that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to ask you something though. So when your mom sexualizes you and you're essentially like your mom's boyfriend in a weird way, like did you assume the role of like that did she have a boyfriend or a husband? She had a, a, you know, my dad, but he was so emotionally checked out and I knew <laughs> didn't like her. I knew was annoyed by her. He was just annoyed by being alive. You know, he functioned, he wrote checks, he provided for us, but it, it was, he was in his own world at the end of oh. the couch. And she would complain to me. I mean, as early as seven years old about how she wanted to leave him. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The, I heard the whole, all that shit. So I'd have to hear these tirades and she would cry and I'd have to go <laughs> rescue and comfort yep, her. Yep. So, um, You're parenting the parent for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I was the surrogate spouse, which I'm told is super, super common when one, when somebody is going to make up for that lack of attention. So she chose you. She chose me. And how many brothers and sisters? Did I had you? one brother and a cousin who was raised with us, and she and my brother didn't get along. So um, it, I was the, you know, I was I was it. I I always felt like I was the last, her last hope for for happiness. Like Ugh. it was, it was upon me to make her laugh, to cheer her up when she was sad, to listen to her diatribes because nobody else would would listen to her and. In many ways, it it kind of boosted my ego because I felt like, oh, I'm a good person, I'm an adult, but you right. don't realize that you're robbing yourself of your childhood. It's like the 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 child that gets into an inappropriate relationship with, um, you know, somebody in their twenties. That child mm. is flattered. It's a high to them, and they don't realize at the time what is being done to them so predatory i know i had girls at the school i went to 13 year olds 14 year olds dating 21 year olds and you're like that's you can't not tell them. cool man you can't tell them it's so predatory that's so crazy dude they think it's a compliment but they don't realize they're an object to that person absolutely it's disgusting yeah. it's yeah. really uncool so do you have um and i imagine by the time you're an adult and you're you know 
marriage comes around was the idea because I know for me the idea of being a mother was very exhausting for me it was like I can't I can't touch that role because I I've got a bad one and how will I be a good mom like did you were you exhausted by your wife for the idea it 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 never well my wife has never wanted to have kids so we were on that that same page and my I, I didn't objectify my wife the way I did um other women in my life you know i became a womanizer um you know in college i was finally getting laid and it was (laughs) it was just so easy for women to be objects to me and that doesn't mean that i you know i didn't listen to them and have nice conversations with them but it was like okay almost like things i would throw away after Mm -hmm. i've seen to me it was all about i want to know what your body looks like feels like smells like and it, once I had done that, it was like, I don't have any more need for you because I think there was something terrifying about a woman a woman wanting intimacy from me. Of course, because it's all consuming. It would, all it consuming. Would, it I would felt like, ruin yes, you. Exactly. Like your mother. I'm going to be yeah. overwhelmed. That's and how I worry with pe- with women, too. I have, I, have, I have woman issues. Do you have difficulty making female friends? I did for a while. I only and today the my closest female I do have female friends that I've had for years, but they're more alphas. Mm-hmm. I I have an easier time with those. Yeah, I found myself hating women. I go, why do I? Wait, wait a minute. Who do I hate here? I had never realized how much rage I had at women because the, I think the sexual attraction made me think, oh no, I love right women, and it wasn't probably until about three or four years ago. Um, that I, I had a couple of female friends that the, the, that I felt that way about, but it wasn't until a couple of years ago and doing the podcast that I really started to connect with women and feel that that motherly vibe that 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 softness that really you can only get from from a a woman and it. I was like, where's this been my whole life? Mm. Oh, I've been, it's always been there. Mm-hmm. It just, I never realized it was, it was there. And it came from support groups, from being loved unconditionally mm. in support groups. And once I let that love in, it it felt so comforting to me. It was mm-hmm. like the warmest, warmest blanket. And so I have some some great female friends. And my relationship with my wife has evolved to now where I am able to be a little more vulnerable around her and that's to, huge. yeah it is and to talk about my fears and not worry about being judged because she's not my mom right 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 she wears right. a mask in my mom when we fuck because otherwise i can't come <laughs> <laughs> right right oh yeah so um cray cray man so you're able now to to have intimacy and have some female yes, friends yes and, and also like this is it's so corny but adopting theo my dog a year ago uh, really brought out the feminine side to me because like being a stand-up comic i uh, i've been a comic now for just 11 years and and it's such a masculine role to assume it is when you're telling jokes you must dominate you are the alpha and that's i think why a lot of people hate female comics there's a shift in the power dynamic of what a woman's supposed to be in society we're still a sexist culture so <laughs> um 
so I, I found myself like, why am I so hard, hard, emotionally hard? It doesn't feel like it resonates with who I am. I'm a woman. And, you know, mothering this dog as corny as that sounds like really brought that out of me. And I'm like, oh, I, I like caring for stuff. I, I love cooking for my husband. I love nurturing my dog and my husband. I, 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 that role to me is it's so right. And why shouldn't I want to care for these people and this dog? <laughs> so and there's yeah. nothing like talking to your dog like it's a baby. He's a boo boo. He's the best. The Huxtable is my boo boo. Here he is. He's hanging out. Yeah, you know. So I accepted that I'm a girl. Essentially, I was so ashamed of being a girl or girly my whole mm. life, and now I'm like, well, it's so wrong with that. Yeah. Is that necessarily just because society doesn't privilege a lot of things? Society doesn't privilege. Uh, motherhood or because it's not paid work right to stay home and to raise your kids you're, you're considered less than a man who brings home a paycheck still i believe i don't think it's equal. and yet there's nothing more important to the future yeah. of the world than good moms good, good moms <laughs> good dads but you know nurturing yes and good dads too yeah. and i should say for the record that men have really facilitated a lot of the women's movement changes too like men have come around a lot obviously too so i don't hate dudes it, it had anything. guys had to get on board for it to move <laughs> any further forward you know what yeah, i mean yeah it's like the civil rights movement would have never got anywhere if black people were the only ones behind it that's true yeah that's so true and yeah. i think we're in in the middle of that with the with the gay rights movement oh yeah or for the sure. lgbt the yeah um and yeah, it's it's the dark ages of uh, acceptance for people uh, outside, you know, the he the hetero world. You know, it's so funny. My mother hates gay people too so much. Like I remember, uh, oh, this is my favorite. When I was a little girl, I was like, "Mom, what's a dyke?" Because I had seen that movie, Reform School Girls. Because my she took my mother and her boyfriend at the time took me to see that when I was a child. It's an R rated movie, just so you know. <laughs> and there's girls making it's like a cheesy movie. And I'm like, what's a dyke? And she goes, oh, a dyke? Ugh, disgusting lesbians. I don't know what women doing to each other, licking each other's all day long. <laughs> <laughs> all day long. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, surely it can't be that. What? Is that all? Uh, and her, her loathing of gay people. I'm like, oh, my gosh. She just hates everybody. Even, even, even lesbians. Who hates lesbians? They're fantastic. Yeah. God. Wow. Whatever, maybe she's gay secretly. Who knows? Do you have any any other? Yeah, uh, I just things wanted, you wanted to look to just to make sure I'm not forgetting because I uh, I hate my mom. We covered that. I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> oh, do you ever? You have your doggies. Mm -hmm. Do you have an irrational fear that when you're holding your dog, you'll just drop him for no reason and kill him? Sometimes. When I bring the water <laughs> bottles in from the porch, you know, we have the five-gallon uh, water water bottles. Like the sparklets yeah. things? Yeah. And whenever I carry them in, you know, whenever you come in from the outside, they're they're near you and they're all excited. And I'm always afraid I'm going to drop that big one on, <laughs> on Herbert because that, that would kill him. He only weighs like 13 pounds. Oh, do you have an irrational fear... Of like you're in a meeting, like a formal setting, and screaming an inappropriate word, like just n bomb, like dropping for no reason. Uh, not not so much, but it, it has crossed my mind before. But that's not <laughs> that's not a big one uh, with me. <laughs> that one's mine for some reason. That I'm always going to say the absolute wrong thing. 
it pops into my head all the time. What would be the worst thing I could do yeah. right here? Oh, I you do know? that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, <laughs> and just horrible, mean shit that I would say that would be like scientifically the most hurtful thing I could say to somebody. <laughs> I will, I will think that. Um, no, I think that's all I had. I, thanks for having me. And I, I, I think this is the beginning of like, me turning a corner on 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 this because I'm not able to really make fun of her yet, and I I would love to make fun of her. Um, I'm almost there, so maybe if I talk about her more, yeah, I'll get to make fun of her. So. It, it it sounds like you're really moving forward with the with a lot of this. I'm trying, stuff. dude. And um, you're just a, a just a fun person to to oh, talk thanks, to. Paul. Yeah, I'm really I like really you glad. too. Let's hang out. Let's have yeah. our support group. Let's let's do that. <laughs> let's let's start our coffee support group. Will you come on your mom's house one day? Oh, I'd love to. Okay. Yeah. We don't we don't talk you. about this. We talk about pooping and stuff. Do you talk about oh, poops? Oh, I got some great poop stories. <laughs> Please come over to yeah. come to, to ours. The listeners have heard all of them. They're probably tired of them, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, our listeners, it's new to us. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. So let's yeah. uh, we'll we'll set something off. For sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Christina. Yeah. That was fun. Thank you. Many, many thanks to Christina. Boy, I really enjoyed uh, talking to her. I, when I was editing the episode together, I had to keep snipping out parts of myself. Like, I don't know if, if I had too much caffeine that day, but when I emailed her back, I was like, I'm so sorry for how much I talked during that. I was pontificating, and there was like no breathing room in that. So um, I don't know if that came across. Um to the edited version of it, but uh, thank God you didn't hear <laughs> the unedited version of it. And that's not me just being hard on myself. It was, uh, that was really true, but not going to beat myself up. I love how many um, awfulsome moments and happy moments we have to read in this episode today. Uh, before I get to the, the, the surveys, I want to remind you that there are a couple of different ways you can support the show. You can support it financially by going to the website mentalpod.com and uh, making a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation. That's kind of the financial um, foundation that keeps this show operating are the donations. And you can sign up to be a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. And it means the world to me. Um, so please consider that. And um, you can also support us by shopping at Amazon through our search portal. It's on the homepage right-hand side, about halfway down. Uh, Amazon gives us a couple of nickels when you buy something, and it doesn't cost you anything. And you can also buy T-shirts on our site. Um, you can buy coffee mugs. Um, I think that's about it. There's probably something I'm forgetting, but it doesn't matter. Um Support us non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice, giving us a good uh, a good rating. And uh, I've noticed that we've been dipping in the, the... We used to occupy almost all the time the top spot in self-help on iTunes. And uh, we've definitely slipped. And I wonder if that's because other shows are getting more popular or you motherfuckers aren't going and giving it good ratings. I don't know. You know what? You don't have to go do that. You don't have to go fill it out. I'm just, I'll be okay staying awake at night staring at the ceiling. Whew. I'm going to go back and rewind that now because. Oh, Herbert. Are you getting worked up, buddy? He's... Both my dogs have cones on their heads right now. I don't know if there's allergies in the air, but 
it's pretty fucking adorable. And I want to try to get one from my head and get a picture of the three of us. Herbert, chill out. I don't know why Ivy never bothers me when I'm doing the podcast, but Herbert, 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 rubbing his cone up against everything. Let's get to it, huh? Let's get to some surveys. This is uh, from The Struggle in a Sentence, filled out by a guy who calls himself Kurt. Um, About his PTSD, he writes, Not sure if it's PTSD. Positive, upbeat, before a rock, shy, nervous, and moody after returning. Boy, I'm no professional, but that uh, sure sounds like it to me. Uh, Snapshot from his life, my mom yelled like a drill sergeant and seemed to take take normal childhood mistakes as a personal attack on her. Um... Well, sending you a hug, buddy. This is Awful Some Moments, filled out by a guy who calls himself OK. Sounds good. He writes, in high school, I had a relationship with a girl I could never decide if I was in love with or not. We spent countless hours together sharing life's discoveries. She ended up breaking up with her boyfriend to be with me, but in my deep indecision, I turned her away. I was standing on my driveway as she left my house, bawling her eyes out. I stood there as she got in her car and started to leave, and due to the precarious nature of my driveway, she ended up having to do roughly a seven or eight point turn. (laughs) That is gorgeous. That is gorgeous. And he adds, we are friends years later, but those miserable breakup moments should go much smoother. Oh, that is, that was like a little movie that you made and shot for me. Thank you for that. I, I can't overstate how much I love the happy moments and the awfulsome moments. It is Christmas to me when I find one that that strikes strikes my fancy. This is from Struggle in a Sentence, filled out by a girl who calls herself Ziggy. She is a teenager and she's gay. About her anorexia, hunger translate into, translates into confidence and self-worth, while fullness translates into shame and self-hatred. About uh, sexual bias, constantly afraid that I will be judged simply for who I love. So much pain when this judgment actually occurs. A snapshot from her life, two years ago I was dragged into the school counselor's office because one of my friends told her I was suicidal and was self-harming. Before we even discussed any of it, she picked up the phone to call my parents. I was literally on my knees on her office floor, sobbing and begging her not to call. She completely ignored me. I still have trust issues and paranoia around counselors and psychiatrists. And one of the reasons I wanted to read this, in addition to sending you some love, is to let you know that that person, that counselor, has a legal obligation to call. If they know that a student or a client um, has talked about killing themselves, they have to report it. So they were not being um, a dick to you. They were they were just doing their job. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Shuck 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 Stukazoo Stukazoo. I love the names you guys use. He is straight in his 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, Um, was the victim of sexual abuse, Um, never reported it. Uh, I've only recently realized that it might be abuse. Around age 10 or 11, my cousin used to have me touch her and another male cousin that happened a few times. There's quite a bit I don't remember. This is the first time I've told anyone about this. Never been physically abused, not sure if he's been emotionally abused. 
Any positive experiences with your abusers? I've never really considered them abusive or bad until listening to your show. I had a few good experiences with her over a year or two span. Darkest thoughts? I am numb most of the time. When I'm not, I feel like my skin is crawling and I can rarely sit still or relax. When I'm stressed in any way, I just shut down. I don't feel close to anyone. I don't think that I've really been through anything all that traumatic, but I must have if I'm feeling this way. Darkest secrets. I don't remember the last time I had sex. It's probably been over a year. Women feel like too much work. I have a lot of anxiety in general, and I'm losing interest in a lot of other things besides sex. Um, fuck are you guys wrestling down there? Slamming into my chair. Um... Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, I like being in control, choking my partner, spanking, good, rough, intense sex. Sharing this gave me a raging boner. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want help. I don't even know where to start. I know I have issues, but I don't know that I can trust another person enough to say this stuff out loud. What, if anything, do you wish for? Peace. I wish I could quiet the constant buzz in my head. Eating a bunch of Xanax is the closest thing to happiness I've had in quite some time. Have you shared these things with others? No, I've barely admitted some of these things to myself, let alone another person. How do you feel after writing this down? A little more numb than when I started. Don't know if this has helped or hurt. I'm in a weird place. Oh, buddy, my heart goes out to you, and I, I know what it feels like to feel what you're feeling. I was numb for most of my life, and you don't have to feel that way. You know, what about printing this survey out and bringing it in um, to your first therapy appointment and reading it? I think that would be a great place to start. Um, or just bring in your MP3 player and play that. Um, but you deserve help. This is from the Happy Moments survey filled out by Marcy. Um and it's a very brief one. She just writes, The moment I shared my most tragic memories growing up with my husband and knew that I was safe because he didn't flinch and he makes me feel normal despite all of my issues. God, that is beautiful. That That is like my favorite thing to read. Um, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Darian. Uh, he writes, My mother died suddenly in December while in her bed. We're pretty sure she had a seizure because her hips and legs were still in bed and her head was on the floor. My father found her, and when he pulled her off of her bed to perform CPR, her pajama bottoms got caught on the bed and her pants were pulled down. He yelled for me to come upstairs, and when I entered the room, my father was on his knees, crying out my mother's name and forcing burbles of dead air through her blue lips with, with pointless chest compressions. Feeling useless and desperate to help, I looked around for a phone to call an ambulance with, and that was the first and last time I saw my mother's vagina. Even though my world was shattering around me, I stopped and beside myself thought, hmm, so that's what that looks like. That is the definition of awfulsome. Thank you for that. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Mega Man uh, about her anxiety. Um, for two days, uh, I have to make this phone call, but I'm not sure what to ask and who to talk to. They aren't going to know how to help me, and they're going to get frustrated with me. Oh, my God. How am I going to go to get through this? 
After the phone call, oh my God, that was so simple. Why did I stress so much about that? I'm such a fucking idiot. And then in caps, every single time. About her codependency, I want the last piece of cake, but so do you. So I'm going to let you have it because your surprise at me letting you have it makes me so happy. And if I took it, I'd think you were mad at me for the rest of the night. God, you guys are so good at expressing your issues. Uh, Snapshot from her life. For the past three years, I've helped my now husband get through every bout of depression he's had. And now I am regularly experiencing it myself. I don't know if the depression feels worse or if knowing how helpless he feels feels worse. I encourage you to get help for yourself. You know, think of that old... Um, got to put the, when, you know, when the plane decompresses, you got to put the oxygen mask on your, on yourself before you, you can be of any use to anybody around you. This is from the shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Des and he is straight in his twenties, raised in a totally chaotic environment, never been sexually abused, but he has been physically and emotionally abused. Um, my mother passed away and my grandmother beat me religiously for attempting to form my own identity. I experienced emotional abuse at the hands of the same person. Over the course of six and a half years, she tore every shred of confidence I had. Routine actions included telling me how awful my deceased mother was, reminding me of how ugly I was, and reminding me I would never amount to anything. Any positive experiences? No. I hate this person and everyone that enabled her because they destroyed teenage years. Darkest thoughts. I think about my inability to sell out. During college, I refused to sell out and compromise even remotely. I thought I had to carry the load of the black race as the sole non-athlete on campus. I'm ashamed to admit I failed to win. I left college alone, in debt, with more questions than I left unsure of more things than before. With more questions than I left unsure of more things than before i'm not sure if i'm reading that right anyway think of that u2 song stuck in a moment but imagine the kicker refusing to stop kicking the same field goal at the end that failure haunts me even now as a 29 year old entering his second master's program um darkest secrets i'm ashamed to admit i failed that tumultuous time was spent waiting for freedom praying to get out of that place my shame comes in the form of failed moments imagine cinderella praying for six and a half years to meet prince charming and embarrassing herself on the dance floor as everyone laughs and her date spits on her um i failed to successfully court the perfect woman and made an ass of myself in front of thousands of people sexual fantasy is most powerful to you i want to have an aggressive milf take me uh i need to see through this facade and embrace me um, I need someone to see through this facade and embrace me despite all of my flaws. This makes me feel good. What would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'm a great person, so please don't hate me. Everyone I've met has prejudices about black males that revolve around antagonizing, fearing, or hating us. I'm as human as you are and just trying to live. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for a great job and some phenomenal, life-altering good pussy in a perfect world, I get both in order. I am not trying to shame you, but if you want people to be less prejudiced about black males, I would rethink referring to women as good pussy. And trust me, I've said a gazillion horrible things in my lifetime, especially at your age, but just a, just a heads up. I don't imagine many women want to be referred to as good pussy. I could be wrong. Just my thought. 
Um, have you shared these things with others? No, I haven't shared this because my friends are either older or busy or young and focused on getting married. There are no millennials stuck in between worlds struggling to survive. Um, I I would beg to dis- disagree because I exchange emails and read surveys from a lot of min- millennials who feel like they are stuck between the real world and college and they're freaking out and not feeling good about their their future. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? I feel ambivalent. This speaks to the undiagnosed mental health issues I, issues I have. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Chances are you've got a set of tools I don't have. You've got family, friends, a significant other, and or people that don't run from you when they see you. You can get help and not feel isolated. In other words, there are people that care about you, so care about yourself. That's pretty profound. That is pretty profound. And um, thank you so much for, for sharing that, Des. I appreciate that. This is from Struggle in a Sentence, um, filled out by Bev about her depression. Unmotivated to engage, dreading the day upon awakening. Oh, my God, do I relate to that. Mutter anxiety, fear that people won't like me or that I will make a fool of myself. Snapshot from her life, reading a book on suicide prevention to get ideas on the best way to kill myself successfully. Luckily, this pushed me to get back on meds and finally accept that I am better off alive and taking medication than dead. Best decision I ever made. Um, Any ideas to make the podcast better? Sorry, I have no constructive criticism for you. It's a great podcast. I had no idea that men actually have feelings. Very refreshing and surprising. Thank you for that. And go fuck yourself. Um, This is from uh, Awfulsome Moments, filled out by a woman who calls herself Red Red Hair. Like most events in my life, I came around on this one. It took about two years. I was providing in-home therapeutic intervention to a three-year-old girl with autism. She and I made great strides within a few months, and the extended family was thrilled. They had a family member die, and the mother had come to value and trust me so much that she asked if I could attend the service with them and help care for her daughter because she was concerned troublesome behaviors might occur during the service. Knowing this was a huge step for uh, the mother to trust me enough to do this, I agreed. Uh, Mostly things went well and behavior was not terribly out of control, but the little girl I worked with was confused by all the crying and emotions, as any child would be. I then followed the caravan of cars to the gravesite where the little girl's mother began sobbing. She ran to me, started to cry, and put her hands up in a gesture for me to pick her up. My heart almost exploded. I'd only been working with her for two plus months, and she mo- and she mostly was annoyed with me when I walked in the door each day. I had come to re- represent this thing that made her do hard work, like use her words, etc. This was a breakthrough. I lifted her up and held her, my heart melting and full. In an attempt to make a profound gesture, I walked with the little girl in my arms to the casket. We were the last in line, and I gave the little girl a rose to place on the casket. As I leaned over to enable her to place the rose, I lost my footing and fell full force with the three-year-old in my arms onto the casket. There was a collective gasp from a a family of strangers. The preacher came over to help me, and the mother ran over to get her daughter, and I 
and, and began laughing hysterically. Fortunately, mom and her brother made fun of me immediately, for which I'm eternally grateful. I posted it on Facebook as soon as I got home because I needed to know that even though I was humiliated, it would make people laugh. It did and still does, but I can say that for almost two years, I became hot-faced and red at just the thought of it. That is so fantastic. And that reminds me of a, a moment uh, my friend Jim had when his his grandfather passed away he had his little kid with him and uh they were at the back of the service and uh and it was quiet and his little kid said out loud daddy what's in the box you could hear people kind of muffled and you know he leaned over and whispered (laughs) whispered something and uh and the kid like two seconds later said when's he coming out how would you not laugh at that how would you not laugh at that? Um, this is from the struggle in a sentence filled out by uh, Magenta Mary Jane about her anxiety. Every little surprise has to go through Kubler-Ross model. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, then acceptance. About her obsession, uh, but she puts in parentheses, but not OCD. I will learn everything about anything that sparks, sparks my interest because facts cannot hurt me. Oh, I relate so sucked so deeply to that one and about her bipolar disorder the weight of my happiness crushes me until i am broken let's see all right let's wrap this up with i got a couple more uh awful moment from vanessa i'm sorry melissa the first time i spent christmas at my in-laws and away from my alcoholic mother i called her to wish her a merry christmas and she responded santa is dead <laughs> Fuck. gorgeous gorgeous um struggle in a sentence filled out by robusto a guy called robusto about his anxiety i have a whole saturday to myself with endless possibilities in my mind but cannot decide which to pursue and end up doing nothing but eating and sleeping oh my god do i relate to that i like to call that working myself up into a nap and yes i i experience that probably at least two times a week and it's so sad when it goes from excitement to dread. It's like uh, it's like it just wheels on you. Um, I'm just going to read these last two. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Sorcha. Sometimes, uh, my first true and this one's kind of bittersweet, but uh, I you know I love the bittersweet. My first true experience of loss was when my paternal grandfather died. At the time, I was a teenager living at home, and my family had taken my grandpa in as he fought cancer. We were a pretty dysfunctional bunch, and there wasn't a ton of hugging or touching among us. We just loved each other in our own antisocial ways. We all knew my grandpa would be dying the next day, partially because of the circumstances uh, he refused to leave his feeding tube in, and partially because we just knew. We said our goodbyes uh, to him that evening and went to bed. In the morning, I came downstairs and was told the news. My dad and I sat down on the couch and just held hands as we waited for the coroner. It seems like such a small act, but it was probably the most intimate moment I've ever had with a family member. After my grandpa died, everything changed. The family fell apart, and I've been estranged from my alcoholic, narcissistic, and possibly sociopathic father for about four years. 
but even with all the things I now have to question due to his lying and manipulating over the years, I know that that one moment was real. For those few moments in time, there was no gaslighting, no ulterior motives, no bullshit. Just a father and daughter grieving together. That's my happy moment. And that is a beautiful, beautiful one. Thank you for that. And finally, I want to read a happy moment um, from a woman who calls herself Melody in C. And she writes, It's 722. I'm lying on my bed reading, and I can hear my two older daughters playing together downstairs. Their voices carry crystal clear through the vent, and I can hear the giggles and laughter. My middle daughter should be starting to get ready for bed, but these moments of them playing so well together are extremely rare, so I'm just going to let them keep playing because that seems much more important right now than her getting to bed exactly on time. And for this brief moment, hearing them having so much fun together, I feel like I must be doing something right somehow as their mom, that they're going to turn out okay despite all the mistakes I make. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And thank you guys. Thank you for being a part of this. And I hope that if you're feeling stuck, this podcast has inspired you or destigmatized all of the shit that we battle enough to reach out for help and get out of your comfort zone. And at the very least, I, I hope it brought you a little bit of comfort and laughter. And I hope you know that you're not alone. And uh, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.